Hey everybody, uh, whenever, wherever you happen to be watching this, uh, whether you're listening uh, on your phone or watching it from your couch, we're glad that you've tuned in. We are in part five of Trust Issues. Uh, if you don't know it by now, this proverb is one you should memorize. It's Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. And it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. We've been learning about that proverb for uh, five weeks now, today being our fifth week. And it should be easy, right? We should just trust God. I mean, let's just live lives of trust. What's next? What's next on the agenda? Let's knock these things out. It's kind of like when people say, just be happy. I mean, why, why wouldn't we just be happy? Now, you notice the result of trust in this proverb is, uh, the, the Solomon says, straight paths. And I'm not sure if that seems like something that is clear or appealing to a modern audience. I want you to think about this. Um, my mother tells me that somewhere in some great, great, great uh, grandparent on my mom's side traveled west in a covered wagon. You know, the whole Oregon Trail, all of that. And, and if you like road trips, I mean, why not take a road trip that lasted 160 days and traveled at about two miles an hour. I mean, and imagine doing this without any Disney movies to keep your kids occupied. If you left too early from Independence, Missouri, then the cattle wouldn't have any grass to eat and they'd die and you would probably die. If you left too late, you would hit winter and you'd probably die. If you hit the river at the wrong time when it was flood season, you wouldn't be able to cross it and or you would try to cross it and you would die. If you hit rain, it could turn the trails just into mud pits. So uh, my family, evidently my ancestors, great, 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 great grandparents, evidently just stopped and decided to live in Nebraska. Now think about it. How bad must traveling in a covered wagon across the Great Plains be that living in Nebraska was better? In an ancient culture where everything was walking, everything was cattle, oxen, horses, straight paths was a huge deal. In some cases, it actually might be the difference between life and death. So straight paths became this metaphor for a good life, the shalom that we've been talking about in previous sermons. So it's work that is satisfying and productive. It's relationships that are life-giving and healthy. So if trusting God is the key to this good life, why don't we just trust God? Now there is one thing that is behind everything that hijacks our trust in God. And we're going to talk about the one thing and what we can do about that one thing. I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 3. This is later on uh, from where we read in verse 5 and 6. I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 21 through 26 with me. Proverbs chapter 3, 21 through 26. This is what he says. He says, My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserves sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. There's those straight paths we're talking about. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or the ruin that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord will be at your side, and he will keep your foot from being snared. 
I have a friend who decided to play this fairly involved practical joke on his sister. He thought it would be hilarious, and this is just brothers the way we're wired, to hide in the back seat of his sister's car and scare her as she got in uh, and drove off to work. Now, there's nothing like making a person feel like they're being attacked by a serial killer uh, for laughs, right? So he, to up the stakes, his sister actually had to work super early in the morning, before the sun was up, so he woke up extra early, got in the back seat of her car, but of course fell asleep. It's so early. Now, the thing is, he actually doesn't wake up when she gets in the car. He doesn't wake up when she starts the car and starts driving down the road. He finally wakes up when she turns on the car radio. But, of course, he wakes up and he's completely disoriented. He's completely forgotten about the fact that he was trying to scare, and he just sort of sits up in the back seat wondering what is going on. Now, I would imagine that what happened, what he did, was actually more frightening than if he had tried to scare her. Now, Fortunately, they had two things going for them. One, she wasn't going very fast yet. And two, they lived out in the country and they're just surrounded by cornfields. Because, unfortunately for her, her fear response is flight. And she literally opened the door of the moving car and just got out, just exited. Didn't put it in park, nothing, just got out of the car. So the joke sort of backfired as he's sitting in the back seat of a car, no driver, completely confused, and the car's driving right into a cornfield. Fear. Now we can talk about trust all day long. We can do five sermons on trust, and I can give you thoughtful reasons and verses as to why God is trustworthy and why you aren't trustworthy and why God's way is better and why your choices just aren't complete or rational. I can explain that a life of trust will always produce better results, but it will always boil down to these moments where life catches us completely by surprise. Maybe we get bad news, a bad diagnosis, a loss of income. Our plans are completely disrupted. And, and, no, much, and no matter how much we prepare for those moments, they're, they're all kind of abstract until they actually happen. We don't know how we're going to handle that moment until we're in that moment. For example, in Mark chapter 14, and we're going to spend a little time in Mark today, but in Mark chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus warns his disciples. He's about to, to, uh, to be in Jerusalem, to be arrested, the whole nine yards. And he warns his disciples that things are about to get very tough for them and that they're all going to pretend that they never knew who he was. And, of course, Peter says, well, listen, if everyone else abandons you, I will be faithful. Now, I don't think Peter's lying. I don't think he's even just full of bluster. I think he's making that declaration outside of the moment. He's just safe. Then, in the moment, in the courtyard, with the servant girl, she recognizes him, and then fear takes over. Fear grabs the wheel, and Peter says, I don't even know or understand what you're talking about. And that's in Mark 14, uh, verse 68. Now, in the Old Testament... Fear, or excuse me, in the Old Testament, trust is usually translated with the word trust. It's pretty simple. Trust means trust. But in the New Testament, they generally translated the Greek word for trust with the word faith. And faith comes from this Latin root meaning fidelity. But it, it means the same thing. It's the same concept. The, but the problem is, is that the word faith in English, has become kind of loosely defined. And I don't know that we have an, a, a, as clear a sense of what it means as we do of trust. And so personally, I found it helpful to kind of mentally translate the word faith in the New Testament as trust. 
So, for example, earlier in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 4, verse 40, you know the story. There's boats, storms. Jesus is actually napping. The disciples are freaking out. Jesus call, They wake him up. Jesus calms the storm. And then he asks his disciples two questions. He says, why do you still fear? And then he says, do you still have no faith or trust? Do you still have no trust? Why do you fear? Do you have no trust? And here's the deal. Fear is the enemy of trust. Fear is the enemy of trust. I could actually go as far as to say whatever the presenting reason in a given situation, uh, but in a given moment for the lack of trust, the underlying reason is almost always fear. It's almost always fear. Fear of missing out on something, fear of feeling something we don't want to feel, fear of an emotion that we don't want to experience, but it's almost always fear. And that's why in the moment we give in to fear. We tell ourselves outside of the moment we're not, we're not going to respond that way, but in the moment, fear. Now, I think this happens for three primary reasons. And what I want to do is talk about those three reasons real quickly, and then we're going to talk about the one response we have to fear. Three reasons. Number one, fear does not play fair. Fear does not play fair. Now, it's not that we are standing at some sort of moral crossroads, and then one way is clearly marked the path of fear, and the other way is clearly marked the path of trust. Fear always disguises itself as other things. For example, my uh, wife grew up at a church prior to her and her family uh, being there, and this is a small church in western Oklahoma, and the church was going through a hiring process, and there was a black minister of who applied for the job and then did the tryout and everything, and one influential family in the church said, I don't think our church is ready for a minister of your color. Now, I want you to think about that statement. I mean, it's bad on any, <laughs> by any measure, but it's also hiding something. They didn't say, but probably meant, we are afraid of what people will think if we hire you. Or, we are afraid that we're a little racist. Or, we have members who are a little racist. But, if you were to stop them and confront them and say, were you afraid? They would say, no, absolutely not. We were trying to make a wise decision. Fear would not have presented itself as fear, because fear doesn't play fair. But secondly, Fear is always the easier option. It's always the easier option. In the history of fear, no one has ever planned that into their daily diary. No one has ever scheduled fear. Tuesday, 3 a.m., wake up and worry. I mean, you don't even have to think about it. Fear just happens. Fear will always be an in instinctive reaction, and trust is always an intentional response. We don't have to talk ourselves into fear. We actually have to talk ourselves out of it. Fear is like riding a bike down hill. hill. You can just take your feet off the pedals and you're going to go. But trust in God is like riding uphill because it's work to keep going and reminding yourself of where you're headed and what your purpose is. Now, because fear is a reaction, it's always the easier option. And I didn't say it's more fun. It's just easier. And then the third reason I think we often choose fear in these given situations is because fear is everywhere. It's everywhere. It would be exhausting, but maybe the next time you're watching something that has commercials, pay attention to those commercials, because almost always the heart of the appeal in those advertisements is fear, and it's so manipulative. If you don't buy this vehicle with all these safety features, then your family might not make it. If you don't support this candidate, well, then it's really the end of the world as we know it. Fear doesn't play fair. 
Fear is the easier option, and fear is everywhere. Fear is the enemy of trust. Now, let me address one concern that I have when we talk about this, because I think that there are people who, in their minds, begin to go down a road that I think is bad and dangerous, and we want to mention this real quick. We are not talking about fear as it relates to needing prescriptions and professionals. It is not a lack of trust in God to need to see a therapist or to require medication. I, I think it's worth stating, stating that again. It is not a lack of trust in God to need to see a therapist or to require medication. In fact, it may be an act of trust to admit that we need help. A lot of people won't seek help because of fear. So I just want to be very careful about not making anyone who struggles, struggles with anxiety anxious about their anxiety. What we're talking about is the fear that prevents us from following. We're talking about fear that undermines obedience or fear that derails discipleship. And all the while, it's disguising itself as wisdom or good stewardship or common sense. We're talking about those moments where we recognize that we are being dragged along by fear. And we have to ask ourselves, are we going to do the hard work of riding back uphill? Or are we just going to let fear take us wherever it's going? How do we respond at the crossroads of fear and trust. All right. Um, anyone here superstitious? You can raise your hand. I can't see you, so I'll never know. Um, superstitions are another great example of the irrationality of fear. Um, and you don't have to admit it, but I bet you there's probably quite a few folks who are listening to this who would be a little nervous about breaking a mirror or, you know, seeing a black cat walk across their path. I mean, well, I'm not superstitious, but why risk it, right? I was at a store, and uh, I made a purchase, and the purchase came to $66.66. Now, I could tell that this made the clerk that was checking me out very nervous. Now, it didn't bother me for two reasons. One, I'm not superstitious. And two, and I didn't really have the heart to explain this whole thing, but the mark of the beast is actually 666, not 6666. That's too many sixes. But the clerk couldn't handle it, and they actually gave me a discount to, uh, to avoid uh, incurring the wrath of Satan or whatever. And I didn't argue with them. I don't know if I should have or not. But superstitions are irrational fears. I mean, maybe there was one guy one time who broke a mirror and his life fell apart after that. But generally speaking, they're irrational fears, right? They, they don't have any connection to reality and what will really follow from those behaviors. And there are many irrational fears that try to control us. I mean, sometimes when we talk about fear, we think it's just the irrational ones. But, but Scripture talks about something else, and I think this is fascinating. It's worth thinking about. Scripture encourages trust in the face of rational fear. Now, back in Mark chapter 4, verse 37, remember, the boat storms, Jesus is napping. The text specifies that the boat was swamped and it was about to go under. Now, that is not a weird phobia. That's not some strange thing, fear of clowns and irrational fear of spiders or snakes. I mean, that is a sensible, rational fear. We're about to go down with the ship. And Jesus still says, why do you still fear? Do you still have no trust? So how do we respond to a reasonable fear that is discouraging us from following God? I mean, you could do a couple things, and this is how we normally respond. Normally, we do something like trying to present the facts. I mean, for example, if you have a friend who's scared of flying, do the facts help that friend? 
get over their fear of flying? If they're sitting there gripping the armrest, do you say something like, hey, statistically, you're more likely to die in a car. Is that going to alleviate their fears? Their fears just, just fade away? Does that make the turbulence stop making them nervous? No, of course not. Fear doesn't really respond to the facts very well. Uh, some people think the, the response is you just face your fears. In fact, if you were to go to the store and buy a self-help book about fear, it would probably have something uh, along the lines of aversion therapy. So if you're scared of heights, you go stand on the edge of a cliff, right? That should alleviate your fear of heights. If you're scared of snakes, do one of those fear factor challenges where you dip yourself in a bathtub full of snakes, right? That should help. No. See, Scripture never lists all the reasons you should not fear. It just doesn't, because there's lots of reasons we do. And Scripture actually never says, just face your fears. And I'm not saying that those are bad responses necessarily. I think they're just ineffective. I think facts are good, and, you know, maybe facing your fears and leaning into them is good. They're just generally ineffective, and they're not what we read in the Bible. In fact, in Psalm 23, one of the most familiar passages out of the Old Testament, out of the Hebrew Bible, in verse 4, David writes, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I have to say, if I'm out for a hike, and I come to a fork in the road, and there's a sign that says, This way to the valley of the shadow of death, I might be tempted to head the other direction. I mean, there's nothing good that happens in the valley of the shadow of death. Yet David writes, I will fear no evil. Why? The second half of that verse. You are with me. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 26, that passage we read earlier at the very bottom of that section, he says, for the Lord will be at your side. I have a child that is just a little bit more nervous about monsters in the closet than their siblings. Now, I can explain all day that monsters aren't real. I can explain that that noise wasn't a monster. But what will convince him or her to go into the closet? What will convince them is if Dad is with them. God with us is the consistent response to fear in the scripture. Fear focuses on the uncertainties of the situation. Trust concentrates on the certainty of God's character. Fear, like Peter, looks at the waves. Trust looks at Jesus. Fear looks at the problem. Trust looks at the provider. Fear looks at the situation. Trust looks at the Savior. I want you to think about all the what-ifs when it comes to this crossroads of fear and obedience and trust in God. I mean, think about this. Think about fear telling us these what-ifs. How can I celebrate another person's success? Because what if I never achieve that level of success? How can I follow Jesus? Because what if he leads me somewhere I don't want to go? How can I forgive them? Because what if they do it again? How can I confess? Because what if they think less of me? But trust says he is. It doesn't try to overwhelm us with the facts. It doesn't tell us to face our fears. It tells us to look to God. I can be generous because what I have is from God, and there's plenty more where that came from. I can show grace because God has given me so much grace. I can confess my sin because God already knows all my stuff and loves me anyway. See, when we slide into fear, we're saying that the what-ifs are greater than the character of God. Now, I want to wrap up by reading a familiar passage of Scripture. It's powerful, uh, and it speaks to this exact point of how we deal and how we face our fears. And it's not by standing on the edge of a cliff. It's by looking to the character of God. Now, this is a familiar passage, uh, but it's familiar in that good way. You know, like every time you hear, don't stop believing, you know, you're like, I've heard this a billion times, but you still sing along. 
I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8. And we're going to start in verse 31, and we're going to read through verse 39. And I want you to see what Paul is doing when he talks about those things that could potentially result in fear and how he tells us to focus on the character of God instead. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, all those things that could result in fear? No, as it is written, verse 38, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, you talk about something people are afraid of, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see what Paul's doing? He's not saying face your fears. He's not saying overwhelm yourself with the truth of the matter. He's saying look to the love of God, the character of God that we see in Jesus. We're never going to beat our situation by fixing it. You simply can't create enough safety to prevent anything bad from ever happening to you. You, you can't make everybody happy as, as to not to fear people. But you can climb uphill into trust by focusing on the character of God. And that's what God has been trying to do for us all along. Fear is the enemy of trust, but the way that we alleviate our fear is by focusing on an almighty, powerful God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful to serve a God that reminds us that he's, he's not going to remove every difficulty and problem, but he will be a trustworthy provider. And so I pray, God, that as, as we go about our week, any fears, any worries, any anxieties that we have, I pray that we would not try to just solve all our problems or plan or schedule or manipulate our way into being done with fear, but we would look to God. We would follow Christ, and if you are asking us to step out in trust, that we would be willing to do that. Lord, I know that it's easy to talk about this in the abstract. It's easy because we're in a safe environment and a safe situation. But God, you are going to confront us with some opportunities for obedience this week, and our fear is going to tell us to go the other direction. God, I pray that we could lean in to your character and that we could be obedient disciples of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us overcome fear. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll see you next week.